0: Hi, I'm Chris McBrien a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 41, The Breakfast Club, movie review. <laughs>
1: McBrien here, along with Yancey. And this is Pop Goes Your World. Yancey, tomorrow night, ZZ Top, buddy.
0: Is it tomorrow night? Tomorrow night. I'm going with k ban Really fast. Yes, I'm going with (laughs) k
1: ban Tomorrow, he's coming up to the house here. Uh, We're gonna head up to Casino Rama tomorrow night, and we're gonna be we're actually gonna be doing a pod not not for this podcast, but for one of his. We're gonna be doing a pod together. We're gonna be watching the movie Caddyshack, and we're gonna be doing an hour and a half commentary um, on Caddyshack as a podcast. We're, we're just we're crazy hmm. what can i say and then we're gonna go see to nice. zz top i'm really looking forward to it. it's gonna be a lot of fun
0: um so what's going on uh not a whole lot just really quickly let's let's plug our only multi-time guest on the pop goes your world podcast what is the name of his podcast that you're gonna be doing
1: uh i'm not exactly sure he's something it's a new project that he's he's talking about launching so once i have some details i'll share that with everybody i think right now this will be sort of one of the first things that he's kind of putting together huh? for it so he just asked me if i'd watch caddyshack with him and um and and just do a commentary on it. i'm like i love that movie i'll do an hour and a half commentary on that do we get to
0: drink beer he's like yep i said i'm in there you
1: go uh, <laughs> nice so he's,
0: he's he's looking for that chris mcbryan bump is what it is yeah right? i the guess I, whatever bump. you
1: want to call it so uh,
0: <laughs> so uh, uh,
1: anyway are you ready to get started yeah man let's do it let's go if it includes getting Crunch Berries up here in Canada, let's do it. You know, I had like this amazing childhood, which I did. And he went on to play Takashi in Revenge of the Nerds, which is one of my favorite movies like ever.
0: A uh, true story, Ben Savage is the most famous person I've ever met in real life. Playing the sitar and all these flowers would drop on him. I had Reading Rainbow t-shirts. I had Reading Rainbow notebooks. Not Crunch Berries because we don't get those in Canada. My mom basically locked us out of the house. I gotta stay home and grease the Weezer.
1: In 94, that Little Rascals movie that came out. In the 94 but... version, Jesse did. Did they have to grease the Weezer? Oh, my, my, my. Okay, so this week, I challenge you, by the way, and welcome back, because we were off last week, so it's really nice to be back. It's been two weeks since we did a show, and you don't... Know, feels a lot longer, yeah. I know, and let me tell you, I just enjoy it so much, you know, so I miss it when we're away. But anyway, so it's good to be back. This week, we're going to be taking a look at um, the Gen X classic, The Breakfast Club. Yancy, coming into this, you had never seen The Breakfast Club, is that correct?
0: yep that's that's true
1: never okay so i made you watch the 1985 gen x classic you watched it for the first time when did you watch it was it recently like just like the last couple nights
0: Yep. normally i like to watch it two or three times anytime we do a movie that i haven't seen before right. uh, just because of scheduling i wasn't able to this week but i just watched it a few hours ago so Ooh, it's wow. very very like just
1: yeah. just today you watched it so <laughs> yep okay uh first impressions Watched it the first time what do you think
0: okay first impressions are i can see why it is a lot of people's favorite movie or one of their favorite movies um especially towards the second act it is pure magic um to me i think it starts out a little slow uh there's some character uh you know plot lines and stuff and it Particularly one character Bender, who I find extremely abrasive, but I think that's by design. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the second act of it, and especially the way it ends, is so strong. And the way it just addresses, you know, all these issues that teenagers face, and um, how like you know, it, from the outside appearance, it, it seems like they all kind of have their lives together, or some of them do, and some of them don't, and some may have it better than others. But they're all kind of dealing with an internal struggle, and I, I just love how it's it's handled and the teenage dynamics and stuff. You can find a little bit of yourself in every single one of these characters, and I just thought it was a Super, super well done film.
1: Okay, so obviously in this movie, the main characters represent sort of a slice of life for for Gen X, you know, as the Gen okay. X teenager, right? And obviously yep. they're comprised of a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal, right? Correct. Here's my question for you: If this movie were made today, would these same, would those same five character types be used to represent your generation, the Millennial generation, or would they be different? And if they were, if they would be different, what would they be comprised of? So, like, so I guess that's kind of all rolled into one. How did you relate to these characters as a millennial? If this movie was made again, would those same character types still be around today?
0: So... I, I kind of struggle with this. Um, this is the one question that Chris, just to like peel back and let you guys, you know, in on this. This is the one kind of question that Chris prompted me for just to like give me something to, you know, kind of like a direction whenever I was watching this film. And um, I, I mean, it's not like it was something that we couldn't come up ourselves if we watched it. It's it's a very prominent theme is is like these groups and these clicks and how people identify with each one of them. Um, it's kind of weird for me because whenever I was in high school, yeah, you had cliques, you know, you had rednecks and you had the football players or, or, you know, or or wrestlers or like the kids who just did like drama and art club and stuff. But more so, there were there was this group of people where there was it, it, I wouldn't say it was the largest group but it was a large group which I consider myself a member of where they did different things they they did athletics and they did you know clubs and they were kind of dorky like myself like I played sports but I was also in band all through middle and high school and was super into it and I didn't really identify with any of those groups individually um, so like Yes, the movie obviously could be made today. Um, I I think it's a very well done film, but I don't think it takes a ton of risk. As far as you know, it's not saying anything out there that was, um, you know, not being said in some fashion or another. It's just the way that they did it. I think was packaged much better. Um, But as far as like the actual groups of people, I think it would just be a little different because there. I think there's a lot more duality with at least whenever I was in high school and kids nowadays where. It's cool to be good in school. Like the the coolest kids in my school were all honor roll students, and they were in like the you know the round table of like the most academically you know succeeding kids. And they, you know, like today there's this there's this huge impetus that's put on uh, college enrollment where they want people who are well rounded. They just don't want a brain who doesn't do athletics. They want you know, a straight-A student who played for sports and is in the chess club. You see what I'm saying? So, like, I feel like the nerds over the last 15, 20 years, and, you know, especially when I was in high school, they became, like, the cool guys. Those were the ones who kind of ran things because people saw them as successful. You know what I mean? So, I, I think the movie could be made. Maybe the the groups that they were kind of characterizing, it would be a little bit more fluid, and you would see people kind of members of multiple groups at once, if that, that makes any sense.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you mentioned Bender was a little bit abrasive to you that character yep. so did you have a favorite character in the movie one maybe that you identified with or just maybe was one of your favorites did bender finally did you finally warm up to him because i think of all, all, all the best thing is is that this is about um i think a lot of them the whole thing really is about a transformation right and a journey hmm. that these characters take and that goes right back to the uh the if you remember when the movie opens up it's um brian johnson it's um anthony Michael Hall's character and he's basically saying dear mr vernon you know and he's talking to him you know and it says you know we accept the fact that you know we did something wrong and all that kind of stuff and he goes he says you know you see us um like, what do you care who we think who you you know because the thing is you asked us to write an essay about who we are well you see us you know as a brain an athlete a basket case a princess a criminal and that's the way we saw each other at seven o'clock this morning but we were brainwashed mm-hmm. but at the end of the movie when they do the narration he reads this the 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 it's basically vernon coming in and reading the essay and then it's brian johnson's voice and he changes it up it's not the exact same way because he says um you know you you see us you know in the most convenient definition of you know a brain an athlete a basket case a princess a criminal and he says does that answer your question sincerely yours the breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. right so so it changes right and then and and just to go back to my original point like bender of all the characters makes a big transformation as well you know, he comes off as very abrasive, but I think he quite he warms up quite a bit toward the end of the movie. So, did you end up liking him a bit better? If not, who is your favorite
0: character? Right. Um. I, I did end up liking him a lot better. I thought, okay. So, one of the things this is kind of a trivia question, but I could still address this. Um. Uh, so, Judd Nelson, whenever he recorded, or recorded, whenever he was acting in this film at the time, he was twenty five years old. Twenty. And to me, yeah. as, or twenty five or twenty six, yeah. yeah. And as was soon as I'm watching this, that's right, yeah. that that's the first thing that I notice is holy cow this is not a teenager right so instantly red flags are going up and i can tell that some of these actors are much older than others and to me that was almost a distraction um and then of course like his character at the very beginning uh bender's character like i said is super abrasive he is overtly obnoxious and he he knows how to kind of like pick at things that he knows people are sensitive about he he kind of uh he kind of uh what's the word i'm thinking of he, he he just he, he exposes things in people that he kind of knows to be true and you know I've known people like this you know I've had tendencies like this myself but uh, that's almost like a way of him kind of you know guarding himself by giving off the facade that he doesn't care you know it makes him seem like he's tough or impervious to you know criticism or anything like that like he's you know why would I care you know because obviously I don't care about anything but like you were saying how uh, you know it is easier to warm up to him because he does kind of become like a different person. You know, he is a person that has thoughts and feelings. Like we think, you know, oh, he doesn't care about anything. But towards the end, whenever he's talking to um, Emilio Estevez's character, I forgot his name offhand, um, uh, Andrew, Andrew's character, mm-hmm. he literally mentions every single line that he had said about him everything about how nobody would miss him if he were gone or you know every single insult so that kind of tells you like this is a real person obviously everything that's said about him is taken to heart like this is his defense mechanism this is how he's acting as a way of kind of guarding himself and whenever you understand that that maybe this is not just him being you know a pompous ass this is just his this is his own way of kind of getting by and it's like that with all these characters where they're they're over they're over dramatized cliches uh you know they're exaggerated hyperboles of like a particular type of clique in high school you know what i mean like you mentioned all the ones uh you know like a a thief or like the 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 basket head the Mm -hmm. the the complete crazy person they're they're so much more exaggerated just because they're trying to emulate you know like their parents and like we, we come up with this this realization where they all decide like are we really just becoming like a second generation of how our parents were and how our parents treated us? Is this going to be like this continuous vicious cycle? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of saying this in a long way, but I think if I had a favorite character, it would actually probably be Brian. Um, not because oh. I, I super identify with him, just because I think of the acting. I think his was the best. He was the most believable. You know, he was 16 years old whenever he recorded that. Like he was an actual teenage kid. And I just thought that like his struggles was probably the the least severe when you think about it at face value like oh what what a what a, a burden you must carry that you know you got in his his elephant life.
1: his elephant trunk didn't work on his lamp like that was the yeah. thing like not getting an A he like I can't not get an A
0: right that was his right. biggest I, burden yeah that was something that I identified with in high you know not in high school but um you know all through school I was a straight A student and stuff and I remember one one semester randomly in middle school this teacher gave me a C and it really pissed my mom off and so she went to school and you know we had like this teacher meeting and stuff and the teacher literally said you know he's he's still in middle school you know you know high school admissions or you know college admissions don't look at this i was just setting him up for that type of failure now whenever it doesn't mean nearly as much just so he can acclimate himself whenever he you know to prepare himself to fail in the future and at the time i thought that was like holy crap like what a monster who does something like that but it did kind of get me used to that type of thing you know you're not always going to be you know just completely sparkling and coming out like roses um So, like, I can relate to that sense. um, But, like, the fact that he would, you know, consider killing himself because he got an F on, like, a a shop class assignment, you know, and and brings a gun to school, that's a little, you know, something I I can't personally relate to. But it it speaks to something, that too, that I I thought was, like I said, everything in this is extremely exaggerated. And I, I know that's by design. Like, everybody is, like, a very very exaggerated example of one particular cliche. But like that one instance where like, you know, he got one F on one assignment. So he brings a gun to school. I I mean, to me, that was almost too much of a stretch to seem believable. But well, I mean, well Yancy, just,
1: in his defense, it wasn't really a gun. It was a flare gun,
0: right? Because oh, you know,
1: it went off in the locker and, killed, you know, destroyed the elephant. But
0: <laughs> which was but actually really funny. But I thought it. that was
1: funny, too. I think you make a good point. I think he was an interesting character, too. And I think because he was so good in this part and so believable and then even in the scene later when they were all together and they were all kind of spilling their their guts out to each other you know in 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 basically in in the in the final act you know he was so believable and he's crying and everything and he even is crying just because he can't believe that claire wouldn't talk to any of them on the monday and stuff like it was just such a believable character when i saw him in edward scissorhands playing the tough guy i hated it
0: like he was movie. in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, too.
1: I, I I liked Edward Scissorhands, but I hated his character in that because I'm like, that's I just can't picture him in that. Being mm-hmm. the tough guy and, you know, and they, they, I remember they even cast him in a movie called Johnny B. Good where he was a football player. I'm like, come on. This is Brian Johnson. You know what I mean? He was just so believable in that. And he was also really good in Sixteen Candles, too. Um, that's a movie I'll get you to watch at some point as well. Um, it came out in the same year. It's another John Hughes movie. Um, uh, it was actually – it came out first. Sixteen Candles came out first. John Hughes wanted to make The Breakfast Club as his first movie, but the studio – wanted him to do a 16 candles. So he did it first. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Anthony Michael Hall was in that. And just really great in that movie too. Really funny. Whereas this one was just, it was, I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. I thought, I thought he was really, really good. Um, some interesting things about Ben, just going back to Bender for a second, because originally, you know, I'm always like, I always love this stuff about like, you know, who got cast or who maybe got cast for the role. Um, John Cusack and Nicolas Cage were both up for the part of Bender. And, they didn't get the part, obviously, but you know who, uh, who, uh, um, Hughes actually, John Hughes gave the, the part to you was Emilio Estevez. So Emilio Estevez mm-hmm. was cast to play Bender. And the problem was he cast him, he couldn't find anyone to play Andrew. He just couldn't find that right actor to play that part. So he moved Estevez over into the Andrew role and brought in, um, Judd Nelson. And so glad he did because I thought, I thought Judd Nelson was great in that. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, what are some other things about the movie? Like, um, okay, so, I, I, you know, we've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast. This is a Gen X movie. Um, back on episode one, we, were, we mentioned what movie represented our generation the best. I said this movie. Um, so what's your take on it now that you've seen it? Do you, under, you know, like, um, I guess you obviously you understand why it's so important to Gen X and, and all that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, well, I can't personally identify with every single group of people. You know, like we mentioned, the little clicks and stuff that they're representing. I think overall, though, it does a really good job of kind of addressing all the angst that teenagers face. Like, that's going to be timeless. You're always going to have kids who, no matter how good their home life is or or how good they're in school or bad in school or or anything like that, they're always going to have some sort of internal struggle. And I I, I think this really does capture that really, really well. My one critique, like I said, was um, – I thought the first act was just really, really abrasive, almost to the point where, like, I was just like, oh, my God, this is going to be like this the entire movie. But um, the, the scene where they're all sitting there and just kind of like talking and like being completely honest. I mean, it's honestly one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a film. It, it's so real. I thought all the acting was incredibly strong and it addresses real things that every single one of us has kind of dealt with. You know what I mean? I think that's timeless. Um, like even now, you know, I'm 28 years old. You're how old, Chris? 47. You're dang, dude! You're getting up there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you're 47, but you can still identify with those things. You know what I mean? Those it's it's one of the most seminal moments of your entire life, and it'll always stick with you. Um, I don't know if we have if my generation has an equivalent film where it addresses these same issues and does it as well. I mean, we have other films that are kind of a sign of the times, and you know, does a great job of kind of getting like the pulse of of culture at that moment but this literally is like a snapshot in time where you can go back to that and you can relate to every single theme and every single like you know issue or struggle that's going on with them and i i mean for that i think it's it's going to be a timeless film but i can imagine how that would resonate with you because that was right in your wheelhouse That, that that came out whenever you were around that age you know what i mean i think it's I mean, you'll, your connection will always be stronger to it, but I can also recognize why your connection would be so strong like that because it is uh, – I mean, it's just spot on with with all of its – just how it deals with all these different issues.
1: Okay, so you want to know something really cool? You were mentioning about that scene where they're all kind of sitting around. It's like that, that heart-to-heart scene, you know, like where they're all yep. sitting there and they're all kind of spilling their guts to each other and all that. You want to know something amazing about that scene? Hmm. Ad-libbed. Really? The whole scene was ad-libbed wasn't scripted. He just let him go. Talking character. Talking character and he just filmed it. Here's the thing I want to bring up to you about this. Okay, we've talked obviously, you know, for since we've been doing this podcast back and forth, you know, about, you know, your generation movies, millennial generation. When you think of millennial films, you know, you think of, like things like, you know, CGI and all these intricate, you know, plot lines and all this kind of stuff. This movie is basically five characters, six if you count Vernon, six characters in one set. One mm-hmm. one set. It's basically, it's like watching a theater play. It's like watching theater. Just, it was filmed. And this is sort of the anti-millennial film in a lot of ways, because instead of having all this intricate editing and the CGI and the splashy, you know, scenes and all this kind of stuff, it's just bare just stripped right down to like watching live theater. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was a little apprehensive getting to watch this. If you would actually, you know, whether you'd like it or not, just because it's so stripped down. Um, Right, that
0: is, honestly, that is something that I normally stand, you know, I kind of look away towards. Like, if I'm looking up a movie to watch, like, on Netflix or or wherever, you know, I'm kind of, like, getting a feel for it. I'm like, oh, is it just, like, live action? That kind of bores me. But to its credit, I didn't really have any issues with this. Like, I was completely captivated with this. And every single week, I think one of us mentions at least once our emotional investment in the character. Like, were we able to become, you know, where we cared about what happens to them? And I mean, I think it goes without saying, like this movie does that better than almost any movie I've ever seen. Like I genuinely cared about each of these characters individually, despite the fact that they're all so different.
1: I also like the fact that I agree with you 100 percent. And the magic of the movie is that these characters start to care about each other as Mm -hmm. well. And that's what makes it so good. At the beginning, they obviously they don't they can't stand each other. The, The athlete Andrew wants to kick the living crap out of Bender. Bender, you know, I mean Bender's picking on everybody. You know, he's basically make, making passes at Claire and everything else. They they all think the basket case is crazy. Ali Sheeta doesn't talk for the first, you know, half hour of the movie, doesn't even have a line, you know, and they all think that Brian's just a neo Maxi Zoon dweeby, you know, yep. that he is. And um and, and it was so cool because then when you get to that scene when they're kind of when they're doing the ad living and they're improving, I think it's so amazing that there's that scene when when they all start doing their talents. And remember Claire puts the lipstick uh, into her bra and then she puts it on her lips. And, right. Bender, and Bender claps too long. And he just keeps clapping. And they're like, Like hey. mocking her. Yeah, yeah, mocking her. And they're like, and he's like, wow, 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 Claire. That was great. And then um, Allison, the basket, she jumps her. She's like, you know, you're a shit. You know, you don't do that. You know, and then, and then they all start sticking up for each other. And and then and I thought it was really cool. Then Claire is the only one that comes up and says, hey, you know what's going to happen on Monday? None, I'm not going to talk to you guys. Yep. and then Bender starts calling out her he's like you're a b-. she's like why because you know I'm telling the truth and he's like you know that's that's a sh- thing to do to somebody and it's just amazing how they but through all this calling each other out then they the bonds become really really strong because mm-hmm. even even in the scene you when, break
0: down any any barriers yeah like it's yeah. just
1: it's amazing because they they feel comfortable enough with each other mm-hmm. that they're calling each other out. And then as a result of it, it's like they're breaking yep. down, they're breaking themselves down and then building themselves back up. And like, I, That, that I whole know. scene
0: actually, that scene actually It'll goes, really cool. not to cut you off, but it, it goes even further whenever, um, you know, he says, you know, how dare you? Like, I would say hi to you. I'd say hi to all of you guys. And then she basically says like, well, you that's because, yep, you know, you I you have to, but I don't. You know what right. I mean? Like, you know, you guys look up to me kind of thing. You know, But, but, Which, the,
1: but the thing that made it so hard was that she was telling the truth.
0: Right. She was being it's funny and it sucks whenever you're on the receiving end of that. But but it's true. That sometimes that brutal honesty, I mean, it really does open things up where, you know, she had more leverage in that situation and she used it. She acknowledged that, you know, socially she had a lot more leverage than he did. So it's not the same for her to put herself out there and say hi to him as it would be for him to say hi to her, you know. Yeah. Just little stuff like that. You know, I mean little stuff like that is just I, I thought it was done so so well. I wanted to ask you really quickly before, you know, we we move on of of this group which one did you identify with the most Ooh, that would be pretty tough I
1: think uh, I was kind of like and and I still am kind of a nerd <laughs> I always was a nerd in high school Correct. Uh, yep. for the most part I mean like I, I was you know I was into theater and stuff like that so I guess you know what I mean and I'm I i do not know I, I was pretty popular with the ladies <laughs> I'm just kidding um but <laughs> no but I think maybe maybe the nerd character because I did try and do do good in school and things like that and I was kind of a bit shyer I was never a, a sports guy I was never a tough guy so I couldn't mm-hmm. relate to either to one of those characters so I guess it would have to be uh brian's character a little bit a little bit uh, a bit of a, too much of a character you know to be me exactly but i would right. say I guess I related to him the most because you know n- not so much in high school but in grade school like I was bullied quite a bit as as a little mm-hmm. kid and in high school that wasn't really the case because I what I did was I started to use humor to try and deflect it when I was in high school so that people wouldn't you know, beat me up or pick on me, uh, right. but I would say yeah, it was Brian Johnson for sure. I think would be the character. How about you? Well, you mentioned would, Brian already, right?
0: Yeah. Would you say that you were kind of like a little bit of each of them? Did you have some of these pieces? Of I think so. All of them?
1: Yeah, I think so because uh you know that's what makes this movie so good too. Is you see little bits of yourself in in all of them, mm-hmm. um and even in some of the things that the girls do, you can kind of even relate to some of the you know you know, some of the truthfulness that comes out and those kind of things. I yeah. thought was really interesting. Um, again, you know, again, I'm just, just thinking of it like with Molly Ringwald, like Molly Ringwald was so good. She, she yes, was like John Hughes like, that was like his muse, you know, in, in, in a lot of these movies, but it was funny is she actually, he originally uh, got her to play Allison. Hmm. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and she lobbied. She's like, I want to play Claire. I want to play Claire and so finally you know he let her have it because they had they had auditioned uh, Robin Wright Jodie Foster and Laura Dern for the part of Jodie
0: Foster yeah, wow it, they,
1: they had auditioned all of them and it was close and they just quite like, didn't quite have that thing and so uh, Hughes said all right all right you know what we want you to play Allison but okay you can play Claire and uh, that's the way that that played out. So, so, so cool. And the other thing too is there's another movie that came out right, I think that they actually filmed it even before this, but it came out after it. It's called St. Elmo's Fire. And the cool thing about that is that um, in that, Ali Sheedy and Judd Nelson are in that, um, so is Emilio Estevez, and they all play completely against the type of this movie like in, in so obviously Bender is like, you know, Bender is Bender, right? You know what I mean? He's like the criminal, right? And, um, in St. Elmo's fire, he plays, um, like he wears suits. He works for, um, for, for a Republican, Senator Oh this is weird. You yeah. know and he's like and and he is he's he's engaged to uh Ally Sheedy's character in that movie and she's like all prim and proper and like they're like the hoity toity, you know, people. It's just oh, it's so funny. But does it work? Does it
0: it, work? it
1: works incredibly well. It does works well. incredibly well. You
0: That's such that, a true testament to an actor actor's exactly. actual skills if they cannot be typecast their entire career and break Especially out. Especially
1: you know. when you go from a role like Bender to a role like uh like we saw in St. Almost Fire with Judd Nelson and it's funny because Judd Nelson was great in those two roles and then he just kind of petered out didn't really hear much of him after that you know Mm -hmm. with a lot of these too even even like Molly Ringwald who was just so iconic you know in the 80s with a lot of John Hughes movies you know you, you didn't really hear a lot of her after that you know, it was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the questions I always ask, any any favorite quotes from the movie? Because we've always said before, like, Gen X movies are so quotable. They're imminently quotable, you know, because when you get familiar, you watch them over and over again. Any particular quotes or anything like that that kind of – like, I got a lot. I got so many in this movie that I really um
0: love. I have a couple written down. I know the one where he talks about – I think it was Brian who says, so what happens Monday – And it's, it's a really simple line, but it really says everything. So it's, it's basically acknowledging like, Hey, we've all, the five of us, this group has kind of had like this, you know, this crazy moment of bonding we've opened up and like, we've really exposed a lot about ourselves, but you know, we're here at Saturday school, we're going to go home tonight and then we're going to be off school Sunday. So what happens Monday whenever everything goes back to normal? Are we still going to be friends? So it says a lot in that one particular line. Um, I had something else written out. I, I love whenever, uh, Allison Reynolds' character, Allie, she's basically talking about, um, uh, you know, she's like, I'm not a nymphomaniac. I'm just a compulsive liar. Yeah. And I knew yep. people like that. I knew people who were 100% like that, where um, they would play up the role of being like super promiscuous, but they were virgins. They'd never had sex before. They just loved to lie. That was their way of getting attention. Um, I think the funniest line for me was whenever Brian's character, uh, they were, she went through his. Wallet, Ali, Ali Sheedy's character, right? Or I'm sorry, Ali Sheedy herself. She goes through his wallet and she's like, Why do you have a fake ID? And his, it was the perfect nerd response. It was Love like the, such a, yeah. an obvious, like, So I can vote. It's like, like a, duh. And it, it was like,
1: duh. <laughs> like, So I can vote. Why Why else would I have
0: it? You know? <laughs> it was so freaking funny. Like, it was, I, I thought that was probably the, the single funniest one liner in the entire, you know, movie. But, um, all the, the all the the dialogue, like I said, whenever they were sitting and you know they were smoking weed in the the uh, library, which it was a little bit of hyperbole. That's a little bit much. Like they're just going to openly all smoke weed there, and you know the, the vice principal never comes in at all. He never checks in on them except you know periodically every couple hours or something. That's a little far fetched, but. Uh, that whole scene, the whole back and forth. And now that you say that it's ad lib, it makes me appreciate it even more. But that one scene right there, I think it's the most one of the most quotable you know, parts of movie history I think I've ever experienced. But what about you? What are some of your? Oh, God,
1: quotes? there's so many. I love the, the scene because I love what whenever it's, it's, it's a drama, but it's played. There's a few real guffaw laughs that come out. And the one that stands out to me is when um, when uh, when Vernon comes in and says, where's your stash? He says something that, like he's asking him about his marijuana. Do you have marijuana? You probably got something. And he's like, how, how could I? It's in Johnson's underpants. And it was because he stuffed it down his pants. And I thought that was funny. I also really liked it when, uh, when there was a scene when early on in the movie, when Bender and Vernon are having like a back and forth. And he's like, are, have you had enough? And he's like, not even close, bud. And then they just start to really, really get into it. And it escalates. And then he's mm-hmm. like, OK, that's, that's six. That's six weeks I got gotcha. you. And then Brian Johnson goes, actually, that's seven, including when you first came in. And yeah, you asked Mr. Vernon uh, if he knew that Barry Manilow raided his closet. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. like, so there was some real funny, funny moments. There's another scene I remember where Bender, the, he wants to know why the door is closed. Vernon comes, why is this door closed? And Bender's like, screws fall out all the time. The world is an imperfect place. I use yeah. that line on a regular basis in my life. Do you really? I'm, oh, all the time. I'll be yeah. like, you know, I, even with my wife around the house, I'm like, listen, honey, the world is an imperfect place. You know, these yeah. things happen. You know, the batteries on the remote died. The world is in imperfect perfect place. You know, I do that all the time. I think one of the most telling parts is um one of the most telling quotes or one that resonates with me the most. And I think is what, you know, it's is no matter what generation it is, whether it's, um, you know, you go back to like the 50s with something like Rebel Without a Cause or a movie like this, it's all about, you know, I think fear of growing up, you know, fear of what's going to happen to you when you grow up. Uncertainty.
0: Yeah. Not knowing what's going to happen. And back
1: in the 60s, they used to always have a saying, you know, you you never trust anyone over 30, you know? And I loved Allison's line that she says, when you grow up, your heart dies. Wow.
0: And -hmm. then
1: I think it was John says to her, well, who cares? And she's like, I do. I don't know. There was just something about that that just resonates with me. I don't know. I just really, really like that. Um, I And again, some of the back and forth with Vernon, like… I don't know. Some of it is so truthful, especially now that I'm I'm in, in the educational field too. You know, like there's one scene where they're all laughing at, uh, at at Bender. Bender says something funny, laughing, and Vernon's like, "Yeah, yeah, you think he's funny? You want to know what's funny? I'll tell you what's funny. Check out John Bender in five years. You'll five see years, how goddamn yeah. funny he is. You know, I'm like oh yeah. man, like there's so much. There's just a lot of truthfulness, and there's a lot of hurtful things that are said throughout the movie, but they all cut to are the bone honest. because they're yeah. honest. Exactly, and that's
0: you know what, what I think. That's- is so cool. That's one thing that we actually didn't even touch on either is the the confrontation between Principal Vernon and Bender himself. Remember whenever he's in the office and he's basically saying like you know, he's trying to provoke him into yeah, a me, fight. Hit me. You know what I mean? Me. And it, it also addresses some of that that same feelings that You know, uh, that that's that's a real thing. You know, I've, I've had that whenever I was 16 and having to deal with kids my age. But I also had that as a 24 year old having to deal with, you know, 16 and 17 year olds, you know, either, you know, family or people coming into my place of employment and seeing that, you know, that that brash, that brazen immaturity and, you know, being so confident, so, you know, Unjustifiably confident and just wanting to deck them in the face. I know that sounds really mean, but like I also channeled some of him being older and You know, we were talking about favorite quotes. I should have mentioned that, too. But just the conversation that he had with the janitor, basically talking about how oh, "Oh, kids are getting more arrogant and worse than ever. You know, I hear that repeated over and over again. Every generation has always said that they always will. They always think that this up and coming generation is just the downfall of society. And like, you know, the janitor of all people is one of the most insightful people in the entire movie, which is really interesting. And he just talks about how he's like, no, it's not like that. Like, imagine how you sound. Imagine you being 16 years old, how would you sound to You you know what I mean? Yep. I, I thought that was a really poignant um, you know, scene that I, I don't think really gets talked up enough if people are talking about this. They're so focused on the main five characters, but really, really insightful, like really interesting conversation between the janitor himself who actually used to go to the school. Remember, they showed his high school photo. He at was, the beginning.
1: If, if you remember, you know, at the very, very beginning, he was in the trophy case as man of the year. And yeah, so obviously he was like a, a, a big star in high school. And he went on, not that there's anything, you know, shameful about being, being the custodian. But, you know. Whereas he was man of the year, you'd expect him to go on and be like a lawyer or, you know, you know, some, some big thing. And, you know, he's, he's the janitor and, but he, he was still had a lot of insight. Like you said, I thought was interesting. You want to know who they were going to actually, who, who they cast to play the janitor before they got John, John Capella's.
0: I do know this Chris because it's a trivia question I'm down to like two trivia questions but it was Rick Moranis Rick Moranis yeah Honey I Shrunk the Kids guy I'm sure you can name every movie he's ever been in but yeah yeah. Second City actually speaking of which uh, here
1: in Toronto um, him, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas are having a reunion in early July of the McKenzie Brothers they're having a McKenzie Brothers reunion they're having people on stage they're coming up for it Dan Aykroyd's gonna be there Eugene Levy a whole bunch of people are coming up for it and um, it's $2,500 a ticket (laughs) I'm like, well, okay, maybe I won't go.
0: (laughs) Maybe you can start like a GoFundMe account or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, so send me to the second city (laughs) to watch these guys. Anyway, uh, time now to have some fun with Yancey. Okay, Yancey, so uh, unfortunately it sounds like in in the the course of our conversation, kind of gave away some of the trivia questions or I kind
0: of used them up on you, but do you have anything for me? You did. I have a couple. Okay, um, I'm literally like, I'm cutting some out as we're talking because you just know way too freaking much for your own good. All right, so we talked about the characters' ages, and we did mention that Judd. Um, you said he was 26. Uh, yeah. The the source I looked up said he was 25. But can you name the ages of the other four main actors? Oh, in the film? like like like
1: what ages that that the actors were at the time, or what ages they were supposed
0: to be? Not what ages they were supposed to be, what ages the actual actors were at the time of the filming. Oh,
1: gosh, I don't know. I would I would think, at least by the looks of it, um, I would say Anthony Michael Hall was definitely the youngest. Emilio Estevez was probably, like, I would say early 20s. Molly Ringwald was probably about 18. Um, Ali Sheedy was probably about 18 as well. And Paul Gleason was probably about 35.
0: Not not too bad. Um, Judd was 25. Um, Molly was actually 16. Wow, she first filmed that. Yep, she was 16. Emilio Estevez was, was 22. Anthony was the only other high schooler there. He was also 16. And then Allie's character in real life was actually 21. But I thought that she was. 16 17 whenever I was watching it mm-hmm. Judd's character really stuck out as me as being older Emilio was so faced that I didn't notice it but um, I just thought it was wild that you know one of the main characters was 25 years old and he was able to effectively you know portray a 16 or 17 year old I just thought that was kind of
1: interesting yeah but I remember when nine oh when Beverly Hills came, 90210 came out and like Andrea was like 31 and she's playing a teenager so I mean that happens all the time there's that's mm-hmm. you know that happens quite a bit I think with actors that are a lot older playing younger parts OK, um, I think so Webster after- Webster from the 80s. He was that little guy. I believe he was 42 when he played that part. I'm just kidding.
0: Totally. kidding. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead. All right. So obviously, you know, uh, the director is John Hughes for this film. Mm-hmm. Can you name the other seven films that he directed?
1: Oh, you've man. named some okay. of. Them. OK, so Ready? off the top of my head. So there were 16 candles. <laughs> Weird Science. Cheapers? did he do ferris he didn't do ferris bueller no he didn't
0: he did he did i will totally give you oh, oh he that's did it. do
1: that eh um yep, so you at four uncle buck was that his planes trains automobiles
0: it was both of them wow you have two more i'm sorry one more there's uh, one more film i don't I know i need to be so good at this. i don't
1: know no i don't
0: know <laughs> well seven out of eight is still pretty fantastic what, what uh, this miss? last one it was curly sue it came out in 1991 oh, it was curly his sue. it was his least, oh, least critically acclaimed film was that though? his it's last like, movie
1: that would have had been his last movie
0: wasn't it, it was it was oh, yeah. Um. so I, want, I wanted to ask you this too yeah. I actually didn't look in too much into mm-hmm. this but obviously he was one of the most like transcendent directors of that particular you know time frame yep. 16 Candles came out in 1984 Curly Sue came out in 1991 that was his last did he die or why did he no, stop no so what he did was film?
1: he walked away from Hollywood walked away and just became a recluse and actually there was a documentary that came out I want to say like three years ago and it was like I can't remember the name of it but it was something like looking for John Hughes or searching for John Hughes and it was a couple of these young college filmmakers who decided they were going to go and try and find him he's dead now if I'm not mistaken but this was before he died um. He uh, it was like, like, I don't know how How many years ago he'd been dead for, you know, maybe maybe 10 years now, something like that. But before he died, they went looking for him. And I don't think that they ever found him. He just became a recluse. Interesting story on 16 Candles, too. Um. Like I mentioned before, Molly Ringwald was like his muse, you know, like he just adored her. Right. And put her in all his movies or a lot of his movies.
0: It's and, like Tim Burton with Helen Bonham Carter. Yeah, you know, like I mean, he ended an, up he ended up marrying her,
1: but I mean, you know, obviously, but a little different here. But uh, so he really was very protective of Molly Ringwald because you know she was young, and that was his muse in his movies, and you know he just had a, a great affection for her. And when he did Sixteen Candles, which you haven't seen, correct?
0: I have not no, no In 16
1: to- Candles, the original uh, actor that he hired to play Jake Ryan, which is like her love interest in this in this movie, um in 16 Candles was he hired Vigo Mortensen. You know the guy from like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, of right? course. He hired him but the problem was Vigo was getting a little bit too close and a little bit Fresh. too aggressive with with <laughs> Molly Ringwald, so he fired him.
0: Good for him. Yep.
1: Just didn't, for didn't him. like the way that was playing out. So he fired him and he brought in uh, the other guy to play Jake Ryan, who was just perfect in the movie. But anyway, there was Interesting. that. Interesting. So, okay. So that's it. We, we talked a lot about Breakfast Club. We'll wrap things up. So for next week, the ball's in your court. What millennial movie will you have me watch and have me come back and review with you?
0: Uh, just really quickly, I wanted to give a rating on this. We've been doing that every single week. I think sometimes yes. we forget. So out of 10. Um, out of 10. Like I said, out of a 10, 10 being a perfect score, 10 yes. being, you know, The Matrix or Interstellar or something. Right. Um, not, not Moon, I, though. Not Moon.
1: Because Moon Like I said, a, I, a I did
0: think that there was, a, there was a couple rough parts towards the beginning. The first act I wasn't absolutely in love with. So that kind of knocks it down just a little bit from being an absolutely perfect film. But the, the second and final act are so incredibly strong. And the character development and just how invested we are in them is so, so good. I'm going to give it a flat nine. A nine. Whoa, so very, very, very strong film. This has a ton of like rewatchability. It. Good. It, it does. Like my wife, she saw me watching it and she's like, are you watching it this season? Or, or I'm sorry. She's like, are you doing this this show for this week? I'm like, yes. Yeah. She's like, you are going to love this. She's like, "Are she's like, you might cry watching this film. She's like, I cry every single time I've watched it. So, so she, She's seen it multiple times already. Yeah, she's seen it. it. It means a lot to her. So there you go. But anyways, for my film this week, Chris, I'm going to go from a film... Old that came out in 2007, which is the year I graduated from okay. high school. Yep. What? Do you and got? as a fun fact, this is the first film that I ever watched in a the movie theater by myself. I could not get anybody to go with me to see it. At this point, I had a budding relationship with film where I wanted to start seeing these critically acclaimed movies that nobody was really paying attention to. And the film is No Country for Old Men. Ooh. Yes. And have you seen it? And
1: we'll talk about it. I have seen it. I'm going to watch it again. Okay. It's been a long time. I remember I absolutely loved that movie when I saw it. Good. And it's so funny. I was just thinking about that movie today for some reason. I don't know why. I was thinking about that movie. So I'll go back and watch it again, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about No Country for Old Men. Good choice. Good choice. Cool. Okay, until next time. Hey, if you want to reach out uh, on Twitter, you can get a hold of us at c mcBrien I-E-N. That's me. Or at Yancey Eaton, of course, that's Yancey. Or you can uh, head over to popgoesyourworld.com. All our contact information is on there. Shoot us an email, whatever you want to do. Get involved with the show around here. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.